There we are. There's the on button. Look at that. Hello. Gosh, there's a lot of you. My goodness. Good morning. Um, I'm Alistair, uh, an ex-VPA, and that's all that defines me. Um, uh, no, uh, I've got to say, I, I haven't written this down, of course, but uh, man, that VPA year was uh, incredible. And um, I don't know, if it's even just in the back of your mind, it's worth giving it a real think and maybe pursuing it and just see where the Lord takes that. Um, it, it awfully sounds always dramatic to say it changed my life, but it probably did. Um, so I'll go with that. It changed my life. There we go. At least altered its direction. Uh, good morning. I mean, my name is Alistair. Done that. Tick. Brilliant. Um, so uh, we're continuing our series in Luke this morning. I'm picking up where Carol left off. So she was uh, get, uh, telling the story of um, when Jesus was a child and the whole temple in Jerusalem getting left behind. Great old time. We're going to uh, follow what Luke does, and he jumps forward in time a little bit. And so now uh, Luke, uh, not Luke, Jesus is an adult. Uh, but Luke doesn't jump straight to Jesus' ministry. He actually takes uh, first a look at John the Baptist. Uh, so that's where we are this morning. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. Uh, and you have time to flick to that in your biblical device whilst Karen comes up to read for us. Do you want to? Do you want to come up? I'll grab this mic for you. There you are. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, look, three, I think it is, one, two, fifteen. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrach of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrach of Butyria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrach of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all. I baptize you with water, 
but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrach because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Brilliant. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Great. God, in his love and boundless generosity, offers us the gift of being reconciled to him. We've just been singing about that this morning. Many of us have accepted this gift. We've been saved through faith and not by any of our actions or lack thereof. Thank God for that. Nothing can separate us from his love. We are part of his family. That is good news. And it's what Jesus came to do for us. In today's passage, John the Baptist, a prophet sent by God, speaks instead about Jesus' ministry in terms of judgment and repentance. We often can shy away from these topics or even just brush it under the Old Testament carpet. But Luke calls this stuff good news too. And today's passage proves that you can't simply dump God's judgment into the Old Testament box and consider only his grace in the New Testament. It doesn't work like that. And actually, that approach is a real disservice to what God was doing throughout the Bible. John is reminding us to consider what we should be doing for God in response to what God has done for us. And what we should be doing is repentance. I know for some, repentance might be quite a loaded or religious word. So a helpful definition I came across said that repentance is to change one's mind or purpose involving a change for the better, and almost always a change away from sin, turning away from something back towards God. For us, this morning, I think the Lord is inviting us to turn back to him, to reorientate our thoughts, our desires, our use of our time and resources, to reorientate all of this back to God and his kingdom. But the starting point for all of this And I think it's really important you hear this, hold on to it, and internalize it. Is that God loves you. You are the apple of his eye. Just as you are, right here, right now. And I really don't mean that as a mere platitude. You are the Lord's beloved. And he loves you more deeply and more passionately than you can possibly begin to imagine. You cannot do anything to be loved any more or any less than you currently are sitting here this morning. Jesus loves us enough to long for us to be with him just as we are. He, longs for us, he loves us enough for the relationship we were made for just as we are. But he loves us enough not to leave us where we are. 
our habits, our thought patterns, our temptations, and our many and various flaws, he loves us enough not to leave us as we are. But instead, he loves us enough to give us the challenge and the strength to be changed by him. So if you'd like a a title for today's sermon, I suppose something like, come as you are, but don't stay as you are, would probably suffice. And if you're sitting there and already beginning to tie yourself in knots, anxious if you're going the right way with the Lord, here's a test that I hope is helpful to you. Ask yourself, honestly, in your day-to-day, are you actively looking to please God in response to how he has loved you, in your thoughts, your words, and your actions? If you are, then I want to encourage you that you can't be going too far wrong. And finally, before we dive into today's passage, it's also worth saying that if you've already accepted Jesus as your savior, then you also can't be any more saved than you currently are. So I guess in that way, I'm not really talking about how saved you are or the condition of your salvation this morning. What I'm really talking about is our response to what God has already done for us. So that was quite a preamble. Uh, But I just wanted to lay some groundwork, lay some boundaries of what we're going to be talking about before we start with today's passage. So, getting into it. Luke sets the scene and gives us an idea of when these events took place. Lo and behold, we have jumped forward a bit in time. Jesus and his cousin John are all grown up, and he grounds this story as a continuation of the Old Testament, slotting John neatly into the line of prophets that came before. God is doing a new thing, but it's following on and being birthed from what came before. Luke tells us that John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He is inviting people to carry out this ceremonial act as an outward expression of an inward decision to turn back to God. Before John, a lot of the time, baptism was being used as a sort of ceremony of cleansing for Gentiles to go through in order to become a Jew. At the time, the Jews considered Gentiles to be ceremonially ceremonially unclean, and that's different to sinfulness. Uh, So they'd have to be baptized in order to be cleansed so that they could join the club. Um, So the sting here is that John is inviting the supposedly clean to come forward and be cleansed. John says to the Israelites gathered there, come back to God. Put him back in the center. I think, he wanted to realize, I think he wanted them to realize that the way they had treated God had kind of made them unclean. In Exodus, the Israelites had, had to cleanse and prepare the tabernacle which they built before God's presence uh, could enter and rest there. And I think something similar is happening in this passage. John is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. God is coming. So they've got to clean the, clean the place clean themselves by repentance, so they're ready for his arrival, ready to receive his forgiveness and follow him. So far, so good. Then in verse 7, his message takes a bit of a turn. John says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Wrath. Wrath? I guess wrath, isn't it? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I know, terrible. Is it wrath? Oh, that's all right then, wrath. There you go, we're in Scotland. <laughs> Stuff you guys. What are you chatting about? 
That's uh, some pretty, some pretty, some pretty heavy stuff. That, I, yeah, strong feelings. He's got some strong feelings there. Whew. I, I wonder if he's talking to here like ceremony junkies. Uh, they heard there was this rad new preacher doing this baptism thing in the desert, and people were like, ah, "I'll add that ceremonial rite to my collection, along with my sacrifice pigeon." Then I've got to be good with God, right? Sounds about right. But John's saying, no, no, no. God is doing a new thing. We can no longer cling on to our ceremony and traditions alone to justify ourselves. God is not looking for ceremonial acts of devotion as proof that people are following him. He wants to see people do practical actions to do justice and love mercy in their lives. And this should be no surprise. This, is, this isn't the first time God has said this to his people. Just look at Amos 5, verse 21. It says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But... Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. As we go through Luke's gospel, we'll see that Jesus is coming to do a new thing. So John says to the people listening, turn from your old ways and put God back in the center. Then we'll be ready for when he comes, ready to get on board and ready to follow. John continues in verse 8 and 9. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The axe is ready at the foot of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I think he's saying, now you've repented and been baptized, jolly well act like it. If you've said no to the old ways of doing things, and yes to what God is doing, then go away and say no to the old things, and say yes to what God is offering. In verses 10 to 14, John describes what this looks like, and it's incredibly practical. I remember when I was a student, I thought I was being a real blessing to physics. <laughs> wow, thanks, guys. <laughs> I thought I was, yeah, wow, so that's rough, isn't it? <laughs> Alistair being a blessing, my goodness. I thought I was being a blessing to physics just by being there. Jesus being in me was shining all around as I walked briskly into my lectures because I was late. And shining equally as bright as I walked briskly out because I wanted to work by myself in the library. <laughs> it took me a while to realize that being a light to the people and places around me is far more often than not an active thing rather than a passive thing. It's not a it happens without me having to do anything kind of deal. And I think that's sort of what John is getting at here. Repentance is not a tick box. Done that, done the baptism, I'm good. Repentance is lived out, active, chosen daily, and prioritized in every decision. So, John says, don't stop having possessions, but be generous in how you steward them. Don't stop being a tax collector, but be just and fair in how you do your job. Don't stop being a soldier, but use your position of power and authority for promoting truth and justice. And this very much resonates with what Phil was preaching earlier before Christmas. We don't need to work for the church to have a ministry. 
We are all called to minister in the plethora of places we go to work and study and relax everywhere. Looking back at the passage, people started to wonder if John was the Messiah or Savior that had been prophesied about long ago. John helpfully clarifies that he's really not, but he gives a very interesting response describing what the coming Messiah would get up to. Verses 16 to 18 saying, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than me will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. As I said at the start, this is fairly different to the kind of descriptions we usually hear of what Jesus did. But before we jump into transplanting this into today's world, um, I think we should explore what John might have intended in his first century Jewish context. First of all, this baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire is apparently clearly referring to just a single baptism in the Greek, whereas in English that is somewhat unclear. I think John is saying that though the baptism of water he offers is merely an outward sign of an inward choice to follow the Lord, the Messiah Jesus will come who offers a baptism which isn't just merely a sign, but there will be a filling of the Holy Spirit, along with the power to be refined and purified. Often in the Bible, the idea of fire uh, is all about purification, burning away that which cannot stand the fire and leaving behind only that which is good and strong. See 1 Corinthians 3. When we receive the Holy Spirit, a transformation takes place and continues on throughout our lives. If we let it, we can choose to fan those flames or to douse them. Then John talks about Jesus gathering wheat into his barn, and we're like, ah, that's nice. But he also says that Jesus will burn up the chaff that is left behind. Before we run away with what that might mean today, let's consider what is being spoken about in the context of the passage. Thinking practically, Jesus, who is God as a human, came to do a new thing. A time had come for God's kingdom to no longer be an area on a map, but a, a diverse group of people stretching around the world containing people who would all be priests to the nations, bringing God's blessing to the world wherever they go. I think John was prophetically saying, either cling to Messiah Jesus and taste the salvation that comes by being in his new kingdom, or cling on to the old temple instead and witness that old kingdom come crashing down around you. Are you devoted to the customs and ceremonies? Or are you devoted to the person they're meant to be pointing you to? For me, I think that's the primary context with which we read the passage. And later, after Jesus died and risen again and ascended, the temple is destroyed, and we don't really see Israel return in the same way. As an aside, maybe this can serve as a warning to us to always be more passionate about God than we are about simply expressing our passion. For example, these worship gatherings are wonderful. 
life-giving and community-building. But it's really all about Jesus and being with him together as a family rather than simply the thing I like to do on a Sunday. Let's always be more passionate about God than we are about simply expressing our passion. This passage, however, also points forward to Jesus coming again one day. The day of the Lord is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. And when passages are describing the day of the Lord, it can really be very difficult to tell when they're talking about an impending disaster in God's judgment or the ultimate return and judgment of God. Often the answer is simply yes. I think that's happening a wee bit here. God gives the choice. Cling on to him and be part of his everlasting kingdom project. Or cling on to the world, which is passing away. I think I know what that looks like here and now, but I don't really know what Jesus coming again looks like and how exactly Judgment Day will work, or the Day of the Lord. I suspect if anyone says that they do have like a super clear picture, then they're probably actually just guessing. What I do know is that God is just, he's fair, and he's so kind. So I trust that what he has in store is good, and that his way, and not my way, is best. I want to finish by sharing what I think God is inviting us, Kingdom Vineyard, into this morning. And I think it's this. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. John welcomed the stingy people, the greedy tax collectors, and the extorting soldiers to come as they were to repent. We come as we are. Whatever our circumstances or situation, whatever state we're in, whatever we've done, whoever we are, this is home. All are welcome at the table. But let's not forget the second part of the saying. Let's not stay where we are. Let's not just be open to the transforming power of God, but let's long for it. Let's search for it. And we will find it. Let's come as we are, but continually put God back in the center of our lives and seek to be transformed by him. Praying the prayer, believing in Jesus, is enough to save us, sort of. But there's more on offer here. If we really mean it, if Jesus really is our king above all else, then we will be transformed. Not overnight, although sometimes God does do that, so let's, let's keep praying for that too. But for most of us, most of the time, for most things, it is the slow, often meandering, repeated orientation towards being more like Jesus that takes at least a lifetime. Sadly, we have to be patient. And there's potentially a tension here to hold as well. As Jim said last year, our job isn't to be like Jesus. Our job is to be with Jesus. The long-term, deep character transformation is usually brought about not by clenching our fists and striving to be better, but instead striving to do life with Jesus, to spend time with him, get better at hearing his quiet whisper, and seek him in our day-to-day. Spending time intentionally in God's presence changes us, and we'll begin to see more of the fruits of the Spirit if we do that. However, 
as we're choosing to live closely with Jesus, he will ask us to make conscious decisions to follow him. And we'll have to make a concerted effort to go against what we might otherwise want to do in order to do what he's telling us. This is the Lord transforming us. And we need to be aware and ready for him to ask us to do his kingdom work. And it doesn't always come when we expect it. It could come in the middle of the day, in the middle of a conversation, as you're leaving a meeting or leaving a lecture, walking between buildings, in the middle of an argument. But if we can hear his voice, if we're tuned into his spirit, God interrupts us in the day-to-day, gives us opportunities to follow him. And that tends to only happen when we are actively doing life with Jesus. So I think there are two main points of response I want to offer. Uh, Both are aspects of repentance. The first one is come as you are. Maybe you've been listening and uh, the Lord has been drawing your attention to something in your life that isn't of God. A pattern of behavior, a habit, an addiction, an unhelpful relationship, or sin in your life. Maybe you feel like there's some way in which you keep messing up. You don't want to, but you you keep doing it. Whatever it is, the Lord's arms are open to you. Come as you are. You can say sorry to him and receive his forgiveness and freedom. And if you're worried that you're the the only person in this room uh, with sin, I can 100% say you're not. Uh, I should say welcome to the club. Um, So whilst I'm sure we could all get up and respond in this way, I'm really meaning for those of us who feel there is something specific the Lord is bringing to our attention this morning, to ask for forgiveness and even ask for freedom. The second point of response is don't stay as you are. If the first response is a heart change, then this second response is an action change. To come forward and recommit ourselves to doing what the Lord wants us to do. When we say, let your kingdom come, let your justice roll like a river, or let your will be done, those aren't passive prayers. To say that and mean it requires action from us. Yes, in the power and calling of God, but we need to be ready and willing to practically and actively participate in his kingdom, which is here and now. The fruits of our transformation by the Spirit might take time to appear, but they should become more and more evident over time in our actions as well as in our hearts. And sometimes this requires us to trust the Lord and say yes to what he's telling us to do. Abiding in Jesus and doing the stuff. In James's letter, it says that faith without works is dead. I don't think this is written to just make us feel guilty or inadequate or to beat ourselves up with. It's, meant to, it's there to stir us into action, to remind us to allow and seek for the Spirit of God to transform our hearts and our decisions, to strive after him and to, to, to earnestly seek that transformation. So in a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer ministry up here where people, there'll be an invitation to come forward and people uh, from our home groups who we trust will come and, and lay hands on you and offer to pray for you. And if anything I've said has resonated with you or anything else in the service, um, then please do come up to receive prayer. 
When it comes to receiving prayer around repentance, I'm not saying come forward, receive prayer, and suddenly become perfect. But instead of us trying to be all things and do all things at all times, there's an opportunity this morning to rededicate ourselves to faithfully and joyfully doing what Jesus is putting in front of us today. Do you want to stand and I'll pray? We welcome you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you're already here. Just encourage you to maybe tune your spiritual antenna, tune into what the Lord might be saying to you. Ask him, Lord, is there something you want me to respond to? Come, Lord Jesus, we are here for you. Come and speak to us this morning. Whilst people are hearing from the Lord um, or asking him, if you're standing there thinking, God, I don't really get this listening to God thing. I've never really done it before. Uh, Home groups are a great place to go to to learn about that. Um, But I'd also love to pray for you this morning. So I'll be at the front. And if that's you, then do come and grab me. I'd love to pray for that with you. Lord Jesus, we, in view of your tender mercy, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Lord, we're sorry for when we've gone the wrong way, in word, in deed, or thought. we turn to you Lord and we say you are my king Jesus you are my king and we ask Lord would you come and meet us here help us to receive your mercy help us to receive your forgiveness not just intellectually, not just intellectually, deep down in our hearts, Lord. Let us know your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness in new, deep ways. Come, Lord Jesus, even more. Amen.